Hi, I'm Steve Maletto from the Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. I understand that great looks different ways, but at that time, great only looked one way to me. And it was, I have to do this much, like using the book, eh, not sure that's okay. If I do use the book, I've got to plan all of this extra supplementary stuff to make sure that it's like exciting and engaging. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really put a lot of effort into it. And that's not to say the effort is bad, but Um, I wish then that I had known that it's okay to peel back some and only focus on one thing and making one thing great. Mm -hmm. But I was focusing on making everything great. And I really believe that that's where that first burnout happened. Welcome to the Burned In Teacher Podcast. I'm Amber Harper, and the educators on this podcast are brave enough to share their stories of burnout with the world. On BIT, we get real, we get honest, and we take action action against the burnout with stories from burned out teachers, advice from experts, and actionable steps you can take today to beat the burnout and become a happier, more fulfilled human being. Let's get started. Well, hey there, Burned In Teacher. Welcome to the Burned In Teacher podcast. I'm Amber Harper, your host, and this is one part burnout and all other parts action, inspiration, and support for teachers dealing with burnout. Today, we're talking all things good teacher narrative. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been surrounded with such negativity or resistance to change or challenges that you simply say to yourself, I can't do this, or this is too hard, or I don't even know what to do next? Those narratives in our head that we tell ourselves, such as this profession is too challenging for me, or the challenges are too many, or I can't possibly make a difference, that narrative changes your mindset and that mindset changes your destiny. And that's what we're going to talk about today is changing that narrative, changing that mindset and helping you to beat that burnout. And my friend Alexis Shepard is here today to talk to us all about challenging that quote unquote good teacher narrative by being real and by being positive. Alexis is an eighth year teacher who has experience in both the elementary and middle school setting. She has experience with burnout early in her career that led to the creation of the Afro Educator, where she arrives to empower teachers to challenge the good teacher narrative. She's going to take us all the way back to the beginning of her career and her challenges with two severe rounds of burnout, how she pulled herself out of it and what she's doing now to challenge that good teacher narrative. I found her on Instagram and was so inspired by her extremely positive teacher brand that, of course, I had to bring her onto the show and share that positivity and her perspective on what it is to be a good teacher in today's world. So before we jump into the interview, I do want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by my free teacher burnout quiz. Go on over to burnedinteacher.com slash burnout quiz and take this quick three minute or less six question quiz to help you identify your burnout as either burned and over it, burned and unbalanced or burned and bored. Afterwards, you will get in your inbox a shiny cheat sheet to help walk you through what it is you should do with this information. And then if you want to take it a step further, 
go on over to facebook.com slash groups slash burned in teacher, join the Facebook group and start sharing your narrative so we can help you to beat that burnout. Okay, let's jump into the interview. Alexis, welcome to the burned in teacher podcast. I am so excited that you're here on the show with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited that we're finally getting a chance to talk. Oh my goodness. So first of all, tell us a little bit about you and what it is that you do. Sure. So I'm currently in my eighth year teaching. I'm elementary certified, which in the state of South Carolina is actually grades two through six. So I've really uh, vacillated between second and fourth grades for seven of those eight years. And then this year, I'm actually teaching sixth grade at a middle school. And so that's been really exciting. So this is your Um, first year teaching sixth grade? Yes. (laughs) So how has that transition been? I really wasn't sure, but I knew that I was excited to work with older students because I feel like my teaching style has always really been catered more towards older students in terms of the level of discussions that I like to have and some of the Mm -hmm. topics. So I really feel like it's been a beautiful transition. I love it in a way that I really didn't think that I would. They get like sarcasm and (laughs) and the the humor, which is amazing because, you know, sometimes younger kids, you know, it, it hits them in a different way. So mm-hmm. that's been great. Um, and just, I love the variety and the fact that, you know, I constantly have kids moving in and out and it gives me a chance to really connect with so many of them. And I feel like those connections are already happening. So, well, your positivity and I, I found you on Instagram and I definitely am going to get into this with you <laughs> about what attracted me to having you here on the podcast for our listeners to experience your positive brand that I'm so excited for people to get to know you better, but I kind of want to back up a little bit. So you said you've been teaching for eight years and you're teaching sixth grade. You started in second and I can definitely relate to that swing back and forth, you know, whenever I taught full-time, I went back and forth between those grade levels as well. But Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about how you got into education and how long you've been where you are. I'm really curious to hear your story, your journey up to where you are now. So interestingly enough, I never wanted to be a teacher, like ever. It never crossed my mind. It wasn't something I used to play as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I was in 12th grade and I was getting ready to go to college, I had kind of played around with a lot of ideas as far as like what major I wanted to, to pursue. And I thought about like interior design. I thought about communications. And mm-hmm. um, there's this course here that's offered by um, CERA, which stands for the Center for Education, Recruitment, Retention, and Advancement, I think. Um, and I didn't realize that it was a recruitment effort, but basically they, they take the top certain percentage of high school seniors and they offer them this opportunity and they say, hey, this is a great leadership opportunity. You know, you don't have to want to be a teacher. Just come have the experience and it'll look great on your transcript. So I'm like, I've got the time, you know, who doesn't want, you know, a leadership experience. And so um, I signed up for it. And um, I think there were 12 of us in that particular cohort that year. And basically they kind of dip your toes into all of these different elements of teaching. So you do a little bit of child development, a little bit of child psychology. Um, they reel you in, don't they? And let me tell you, that, <laughs> that's why I'm here because they reeled me in. And I, I will say it wasn't like an immediate reel in, but as soon as I had like that first couple of experiences, I had like a knack for it that, um, you know, just based on the feedback and stuff that I got. And I was kind of like, okay, So it seems like I kind of have, there's something here Mm -hmm. and I decided to pursue it because I felt like 
you know, even though it was something that I had a knack for, I also felt like whatever I was putting out, I was also getting back. So in my ability to build relationships with the kids and my ability to plan lessons that were fun and effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how, <laughs> that's how I became a teacher. <laughs> That's quite a story. You know, you and I have that in common. I did not grow up, you know, some people are born with mm-hmm. this desire to be a teacher, you yes. know, they teachers in the family, or they just had always had such a good education experience. And they, I didn't know what I wanted to do for the longest time. And it just made the most sense to me because it was something that I was the most comfortable mm-hmm. with. I've always been a student. Heck yes, I can right. be a teacher, you know? <laughs> so that's really interesting. So- wow. So tell us a little bit about, um, so first of all, I'm curious, just because of, you know, the whole burned in process of beginning where you are and then understanding your teacher brand, mm-hmm. um, have you always taught in the same school? I've been at three different schools in two different districts. Okay. Um, so I started off in a larger, um, what you might consider more urban district. Um, early in my career was Greenville County, and I spent four years there, and in that four years, I spent three years in second grade and one year in fourth grade. And then I moved to actually my home district um, where I grew up, ironically. And I spent um, two years in second grade and two years in fourth grade. And now I have this year in sixth grade. So I've moved around, but it has been by choice. And so, and my experiences is so interesting because you know, obviously there are a lot that there's a lot that's similar, right? Because there are, you know, public schools and there are certain, you know, things that are all the same, but then also wildly different just in terms of the philosophies, like the district I teach at now is a lot smaller. And so like higher up district officials are a lot more accessible and um, it's a lot more of a personal uh, type of connection that you have with the people around you, I feel like. That was going to be my next question. You know, I worked in a couple of different districts myself, and although they were all public schools, they can Mm -hmm. culturally so extremely different. So what are some of the biggest factors that you noticed that caused you to notice those differences? I mean, I know you said that the size was different, but as far as leadership goes, you know, what were some things that you enjoyed about some of Um, the schools? And you don't have to disclose what schools they were. Um, but what was it that you appreciated most about, you know, any of the schools that you've worked in? In all of the schools that I've worked in, I've enjoyed uh, a lot of creative freedom. And I didn't realize probably until, God, I want to say that I moved from my first school that I started thinking that, okay, something that I loved about my first school was that um, I kind of had a guideline of, okay, these are the, the essence of the things that you need to teach between August and June but I had the freedom to teach them any way that I wanted, which was awesome because I do, you know, there are certain things that you just get a, an idea for and you're like, Ooh, I really got to do that. Or mm-hmm. you want the ability to do that. And I realize that that's not a thing everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have prescribed curriculum where you have to teach this lesson this way. Um, and so at all of my schools, I've had a lot of creative freedom. One thing that I've loved about this smaller district and something I noticed really early on So when I moved back here um, and I started uh, teaching in second grade again, I want to say it was maybe my second or third month at the school, um, the superintendent actually came into my classroom and sat and observed a lesson. And then afterwards wrote me like a very personal kind of feedback 
um, mm-hmm. email about, you know, how he enjoyed his time in my room and was able to talk about specific things that he noticed that I did with my students um, that he really enjoyed. And so even though I appreciated the positive critique, one thing that really stuck out to me was just this idea that he came into the classroom and, you know, was there. And, and it's something that I think he has the luxury to do because it is a smaller district versus somewhere like my first district where there are, I mean, 35 or 40 elementary schools, Mm -hmm. whereas the district I'm in now has less than 10. But do you feel like there is a little bit of a choice you know, if you made a list of priorities as a superintendent that yes. you could certainly put classroom <laughs> visits and, you know, the the humanity, you know, between you and your teachers, you could put that pretty high on the list. Oh, absolutely. I think so. I, I really, you bring up a good point because I do think it's also about what, you know, ultimately what the values are there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think when people value, first of all, just the people that are working for them and when they value connection and relationship, because ultimately, like when it comes down to it, that's what's going to make people stay or um, even if they can't stay, that's what's going to make it a little more difficult for them to leave. Yeah. You know, and that sort of belief, those core values really do trickle down to your relationships between your teacher and your students, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, and we're going to get yes, into this. Absolutely. We're going to get into this in a minute. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear your beliefs and your mindset surrounding that, you know, those beliefs. So, yeah. This is the Burned In Teacher podcast. So, of course, I do have to ask you, Alexis, have you ever experienced burnout? And if you did, did you narrow down the root causes of it? And then, how did you, what was your plan of action and how did you get out of it? The answer is yes, I did experience burnout the first time. I actually experienced it really two times. The first time was year four. So year four, I had, um, actually, I kind of have to predate, so Mm -hmm. I'm just rambling. Okay. Year (laughs) two, I had a group of really tough students. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is really challenging. Mm -hmm. And the year that my principal wanted me to move to fourth grade, it was with that same group. And so I remember being really nervous about it. And I remember talking to him about it. And I remember, you know, basically him saying, hey, this is what we need you to do. I didn't really question it. I just expressed my concerns, but went forward with it anyway. I really try to go into every year with a a clean slate, um, especially when it comes to student reputations and and even the past experiences that I've had with those students. And so, um, but it was really challenging. And uh, what made it really challenging was not just that group. It was also the fact that I was new to fourth grade, had never taught fourth grade before, was only a fourth year teacher. And my co-teacher, the, the teacher that taught across the hall for me, because there were only two of us in the grade level that year, was a third-year teacher. But her team, you know, had been broken up. And so we were a new team together. We had to rebuild all of the curriculum on top of, um, you know, the day-to-day was a lot of behavior management. And early in my career, and, and I think I still am to a large extent a regulator, you know, like I'm that person where they tell me we're going to put so-and-so in your class because we know you can handle it. Which is both a a curse Um, and a compliment, right? Right, exactly. It's like, I'm so glad that you think that I can handle it. But at the same time, it it, then those statements almost justify 
um, people kind of not even considering that, oh, this might be stressful for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I care about my students, which is part of the reason why it's so stressful. And so in the behavior managing, I'm not just saying something to them to assert my authority. I'm saying it to them because I care about them and there's something, you know, some greater purpose to whatever it is that I'm saying. Right. And so I spent so much time managing behavior. And then on top of managing behavior, it was building curriculum. And it just, I felt like there was never any separation. And because I wanted to be great, right? Like I've never been okay with mediocrity. Granted, I understand that great looks different ways, but at that time, great only looked one way to me. And it was, I have to do this much, like using the book, eh, not sure that's okay. If I do use the book, I've got to plan all of this extra supplementary stuff to make sure that it's like exciting and engaging. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really put a lot of effort into it. And that's not to say the effort is bad, but Um, I wish then that I had known that it's okay to peel back some and only focus on one thing and making one thing great. Mm -hmm. But I was focusing on making everything great. And I really believe that that's where that first burnout happened. You know, I (laughs) am sad to say that I didn't do anything about it. I complained and I cried about it. And I just kind of felt like you got to suck it up and deal with it. This is just the way it is, right? Is that what you were? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you and I are a mirror image of each other for that first <laughs> round of, of burnout because that is exactly yeah. what I did. And I thought that I was taking care of myself by venting to my friends and letting my emotions. And I'm a very emotional person anyway. Just ask my husband. Me too. <laughs> I cry at almost every commercial and Me too. <laughs> it's really bad. Um, but anyway, so I just thought, you know, this is just me. And, you know, and I did, had, I did have some of those situations where I was like, oh my gosh, why are you so ungrateful? You have this excellent opportunity to serve these kids and here you are crying and complaining, but then that's where it stopped. That, that's, a, yeah. that's where it stopped. I didn't do anything else. Yep. Yeah. So it sounds like you had a little bit of what I call the agent of same, the superhero so, Sam. Sam. Yeah. Which is like, I can do everything myself. I can just do it all. It, it never occurred to me to ask for help or to express that I was drowning to anybody else other than, you know, family and people that I felt like, okay, I can just let this out and, you know, that'll be it. I really, I don't think at the time I really thought I needed more. Yeah. And that can get you in a tough spot, especially when boundaries are being crossed like that. And you're just like, of course I can. Yes, I can. Of course. Yes. You know, that, that word yes can, is, is so easy to say, but it causes so much hardship Mm -hmm. at the same time. So you said you went through it twice. Did you actually solve the burnout or did it just kind of, it kind of went away a little bit? You kind of pushed it back enough that it got better and then it came back. What happened the second round? So the second round (laughs) is actually really funny because it was two years ago between that first burnout and the second burnout, I moved. Mm -hmm. So after that year, um, my husband actually got into graduate school uh, where we are now. And so we moved and it's about 45 minutes away. So theoretically I could have stayed, but I just wasn't interested in the drive. And, you know, I felt like it was just a great time for change. And so the move quelled me for a couple of years. You know, I really didn't do anything about it. Didn't think about it. I didn't think about the fact that I had been unhappy, but 
moving, you know, there's always kind of a new energy around moving that. Oh, yes. Uh, you love you know, change. Yes. Yes. That kind of yeah. makes everything a lot more palatable because there's just so much excitement. You know, we had a new place and the school was new. The kids were new. I don't have any history. It's a really a fresh start. Two years ago, I actually had a great group of students. And so I didn't really feel like I spent a lot of time managing behavior, but I found myself becoming more and more impatient. And in the spring of 2018, I um, was at a health fair and my mom noticed that my blood pressure was really high. I mean, like 160 over 100, you know, something in that range. Wow. Yeah. And so she took it, my mom's a nurse. And so she took uh, my blood pressure again manually. And she's like, this is really concerning. Um, she said, I really think you need to make an appointment with your doctor and just, you know, at least start to have some conversation about this. I do have um, hypertension in my family. And so my mom thought, you know what, it'll be worth it for you. Just talk to your doctor, even if nothing's up. And so you got a couple of different blood pressure readings at different times. And they were still extremely high, you know, like stroke level blood pressures. And so he had me do a month long blood pressure um, study at home, taking it at different times during the day under different uh, stressors and that sort of thing to see if that was regular. And what we were trying to see was if it was consistently high. And if so, then um, he was likely going to recommend medication, mm -hmm. which I had a tough time dealing with because um, I was 28 at the time. And I was like, what 28, what 28 year old is on, you know, blood pressure medication. I just kind of felt like it was insane. And I knew that a big part of that was stress. Mm -hmm. I am somebody that, um, I get very easily emotionally invested in things. I'm a super emotional person too. And it's so, it's really hard for me to separate. And with teaching, um, even with, with the behavior management part that I know I've been so into or had been so into at my last school, it was because of that emotional investment. Um, so anyway, I knew that stress was a big part of it. And I remember my doctor and I having this conversation and he was like, what do you do? And I said, I'm a teacher. And he was like, yeah, I know that can be something that's really stressful. What are you doing to manage that? And, um, I was exercising, you know, a couple of times a week, but there was nothing else. And so at that point, I really ratcheted up um, developing different lifestyle habits. And so I was really strictly watching my diet and the amount of sodium that I consumed. Um, but I also really started to think about how I was managing the stress from work because I really didn't have anything for that. I would talk about it with my husband or complain about it. Um, you know, in some ways he would kind of feel like that spoiled our time together because I couldn't emotionally divest from school. Mm -hmm. And, um, that really is where the changes started was with that whole blood pressure, uh, scare, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, um, the ball didn't get, I uh, wasn't rolling quickly then, but it started rolling with that incident. Mm. And so, um, once that was solved and, and I was able to, you know, get my blood pressure to a manageable level consistently. So you um, did this without medication then? Yes, I did. I was able to do it without medication. That's not to say that I may not be on it later, but for now we know that I'm able to manage it and that it is 
primarily stress induced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the summer came and I was like, okay, I've really got time to, you know, work on myself now. Mm-hmm. Keeping in mind that during this springtime, I had also decided, you know what, this job is too stressful. I'm going to apply for some other things as well. So I also applied for six other jobs um, during the spring of 2018, thinking that one of the ways that I was going to manage my my stress was to just get out. And um, none of those jobs, I had one follow-up interview with one of them and, um, you know, obviously didn't get it. And that summer, I really struggled with having to go back to the classroom. And I had a little bit of like a mini panic attack over it in July. I'll never forget. It was July of 2018. And it sounds so weird to say, cause it feels like it's been longer than that, but it was July of 2018. And I remember calling my friend and crying about, it, and she said, come to my house, you know, we'll commiserate together. And I got to her house and I was crying about it. And I said, but you know what? I said, I know that if I'm going to do this, I've got to start with changing my attitude. Like if I'm going to teach again, I have to facilitate my own paradigm shift was, you know, essentially kind of how I put it to her. And she, I said, you know, I said, I saw this book. Um, It's by Angela Watson. It's called Unshakable. I said, I think I'm going to order it on Amazon. And would you believe that she went over to her bookshelf and was like, oh, I have that. Do you want to borrow it? that's when you know that you are talking to the right people. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, I think in so many ways, so divinely inspired because I had every intention of reading the book, no idea that she had it and she hands it to me and I could start reading it right away. And that's where the ball really rolls downhill really quickly. This is fantastic. So this is such a great lead in, Alexis, to why I had you on the podcast. Because like I mentioned earlier, how I found you on Instagram, I'm so glad I did. (laughs) Your brand, you clearly are very intentional about the words that you choose and the way that you present yourself and the way that you choose to look at different situations and the people clearly that you surround yourself with. So this is a perfect lead-in for us to talk about your beliefs about your career and your control over your burnout. So you said the ball started rolling. So help us to visualize what that looked like on a day-to-day basis in your journey out of burnout. Um, So first it looked like me reading this book. And I remember this book was like 20 deep breaths that you take just you know, back to back to back. I just remember reading things and feeling like somebody finally understood me. And I remember reading some of the things in that book and thinking, oh my gosh, this is already a part of what I believe and a part of who I am. And like, I can do this. I can be me. I can be authentic and still be great, which was a huge, almost a huge weight off of me because I realized that in just being who I was and in Um, exuding the things that I believe to my students in my classroom, I was already great, Mm. um, if that makes any sense. You know, it wasn't necessary for me to feel like I had to do A, B, and C. 
Well, it makes absolute sense because of what you said earlier about how you put all of that pressure on yourself to do all the things and go the extra mile for every single subject, every single lesson. So that definitely makes sense. Yes. Well, and realizing that in some of the things that were already inherent to my beliefs, Mm -hmm. they were an extra mile. I just wasn't viewing them that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's because, you know, I I am a perfectionist and, and I do care Um, you know, at least a little bit about how people perceive me. And I just always thought, okay, this is what I would perceive as great, or this is what social media perceives as great. And so obviously these are all the things, like you said, that I need to do. And so, um, anyway, I I finished reading the book and once I finished reading the book, I developed some goals for myself. Um, and this was all before the school year started. And one of those goals was simply to invest in myself professionally. I got my master's three years into my teaching career. And so that was, you know, I considered that my investment for a long time. And um, after I read Unshakable by Angela Watson, I was like, you know, I've been stagnant professionally since then. Like, unless it is absolutely required by my school, I was not doing it. And so, you know, I really got this, this urge to connect with other educators and other education professionals outside of just my building and outside of just my grade level. Mm-hmm. And so um, two of the ways that I plan to accomplish that was to find one conference um, that was not required by school, um, something that I really wanted to just do. And then number two was to get a Twitter. And um, my mom is a huge <laughs> techie and she's always like you just need to get a twitter because it's a great way to keep up with the latest and greatest in your profession and it's in you know little blurbs and so it's easy to keep up with and so july 31st and i only know this because facebook recently told me (laughs) um july 31st of last year i was you know feeling ultra productive i just finished the book and i go to create a twitter account didn't want to use my regular name and just I mean, really out of nowhere, it was like the Afro educator. And I thought, somebody's got this name. This really flows too well. Cool name. (laughs) Right? Like it flows too well and it's really too nice for it not to have been taken. And it wasn't on any platform. So Mm -hmm. I um, just create this Twitter and I start tweeting my thoughts. And um, I really committed to finding some way to connect with other educators, which was through that Twitter and later through the conference, also committing to just sharing my experiences, whether that's a lesson that I loved that I taught, whether it's uh, what it's like being a teacher of color uh, in the teaching profession, whether it's, you know, I had a really cruddy day and this is how I'm dealing with it. You know, it, it really started off really simply. Like, I just want to see what other education professionals are out there doing and, you know, have a platform to share mine as well. Mm -hmm. And then clearly you took that platform and extended it into Instagram with Instagram stories. And I'm telling you, anybody who's listening right now, if you don't follow the Afro educator, and I'm so (laughs) glad you explained that because that was going to be one of my questions is where did you get your name? So I didn't know if there was a specific story behind it, but it just like, like you said, it just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. And it, you know, I did, I knew that I wanted to, um, 
somehow uh, pay homage to the fact that I am a teacher of color. That's a, a huge part of my identity because especially in the district I work in now, which is, um, I mean, primarily Caucasian, mm-hmm. I knew that I somehow wanted that to be a part of, you know, I knew I wanted it to be an identifier because it's something that I'm proud of. Um, you wanted to make it part of your brand. You wanted yes, it to be known. Yes. 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 And And when you look at it, you know, I feel like it's, you almost immediately know, okay, there's a black woman behind this. And I get a lot of empowerment from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to say, listeners, I know that you cannot see Alexis, (laughs) but if you have not, not only is she a beautiful black woman, she has got some style. (laughs) You have got such a wonderful sense of style. Like even looking behind you in your living space. Oh my gosh, stop. (laughs) I need you. I need to take you virtually shopping with me. Or if I do see you in Pittsburgh, we're going to go. (laughs) Let's let's do it. I'm a little self-conscious over here. I'm just going to tell you. Stop. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. I'm all about home decor and and, you know, I have my, my grandma and my mom to blame for that. <laughs> well, you are a lucky, lucky woman. Um, so, so go ahead. I was going to ask you a question, but if you're not finished, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you, you just have to know that you are know, clearly, it's fine. Your, your intentions are clear with, with the way that you mm-hmm. exude, you know, confidence and positivity. The things that you say on your stories, the way that you dress, the way that you, um, the way that you talk about your struggles. Cause I've, I've seen you, you've talked about, you know, how you've had a rough day and you talk yourself through it and you're helping others to realize like, there's a difference between getting on Instagram and spouting frustration and stress and anxiety and then leaving it at that. And mm-hmm. there are definitely some accounts that I'm not going to say out loud that that is their clear intention is mm-hmm. just to exude how horrible teaching is. Right. Versus a brand that is saying, look, teaching is hard. You know, there are things about this job that are extremely Mm -hmm. difficult. Yeah. But I want to help you to understand that you're not alone, number one. Number two, it is all about it. it, Our combating burnout, combating these challenges really Mm -hmm. does begin and end with you, as you've said. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that belief that it really, because I know that there are teachers that, that are either listening or that are out there that are saying, you know, if, if this, then, then teaching wouldn't be so hard. Or if that, then mm-hmm. our classrooms wouldn't, you know, be so full mm-hmm. of, te- of, of students who just need so much more than what I can give them. Or, you know, mm-hmm. this shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know? Right. So, so yeah, So tell us a little absolutely. bit about that belief. So um, it, it kind of, like I told you earlier, when I started to really combat my burnout was when I kind of almost had this, this self-actualization and the self-awareness that, wait a minute, as long as my attitude stays like this, it was something that I said, and I can't remember the exact statement, but I think it was just complaint after complaint after complaint and rolled out of my mouth. And I thought, you know, the first thing I have to do was change how I think about this. And there wasn't like a specific thought that I wanted to change. I just knew that I wasn't being, um, that I wasn't open to the fact that I could live my best life. You know, I could have a great relationship with my husband and spend time with my friends and enjoy my hobbies and be good at teaching at the same time. And I just thought to myself, there has to be a way to do it because I know that there are people out there that do this and Mm -hmm. they're great teachers. They're able to live the lives at home that they want and they're able to do so simultaneously. 
and I have to say that that belief really stemmed from a couple things. One being reading Angela Watson's book. So it's not like she introduces a whole lot of new ideas, Mm -hmm. but they're revolutionary in the sense that they are things that we already do and things that we already think that actually are enough. So walk us through a situation when things get hard, when a student is being particularly rambunctious or something happens in your school with a new initiative or, you know, the, the cliche things that we all know happen in a normal day-to-day life of a teacher. What goes through your head or if a negative thought, you know, because you can't be happy all the time. Right. How do you bring yourself back to a place of that positive mindset and those things that you can control? Um, so first of all, I, um, had to divest a lot. So my, my advice I would say would be the emotional investment in the behavior management aspect of it, which we know management is so important just because of the fact that if your classroom isn't well managed, your productivity decreases. Mm-hmm. And so one of the biggest things that I've done was um, divested. Now I know people are going to be like, what? Um, I had to tell myself this and I tell my students this too. I can't make anyone do anything. Ultimately, the most that I can do is suggest, and then you make the choice. And what I have found is, even with middle school students um, and with the older elementary school students that I taught is, some of their behaviors are attention-seeking. And so when those things happen, there are a couple of strategies that I use. One is I ignore it. And I know that that can be so difficult because I know that we all have that one student that we feel like can get the rest of the students off. Mm-hmm. But um, if I continue to, to, to teach through it, or if I choose not to address the behavior, a lot of times it fades into oblivion. Mm-hmm. The second thing is I do invest a lot in developing relationships with my students. And I am very honest with them and t- telling them like, hey, hey. I can't make you do anything. You know, I um, can make the suggestion and then you the choice. But I make, I I do a lot in making sure that they know that I I care about them. So I'm very cognizant about how I treat them just in general. And I tell them at the beginning of the year, I'm going to show you everything that I want you to show me. And so I actually had a, a situation with a student last week who was being disruptive And he just wasn't staying on task. He would, you know, say something and the rest of the class would be in an uproar. And so at one point, when most of them were working on independent work, I pulled this student outside in the hallway. um, And I said, I'm not sure what's going on. I said, I'm not upset with you. I said, but I feel like you don't have a reason to treat me the way that you're treating me right now and to do what it is that you're doing in class. I said, you know that I have been nothing but a and B to you. And so I feel like um, I should have that back. And um, he, you know, I mean, he agreed essentially. And, you know, he kind of gave me a little excuse as to why he felt he might be acting that way. But he went back in the classroom and got back to work. I extend a lot of grace to my students because I know that I want that for me. And I think because of that, it keeps a lot of those management issues at bay. I don't feed into the drama and I don't try to assert myself as this authoritarian, you know, dominant 
you're going to do what I say or else type of figure. Because I think when you do that, especially when you get with like your kind of fourth grade and higher students, it produces the opposite effect and it becomes counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And then you're pushing, pushing, pushing for behavior and you're overly emotionally investing in behavior and you're taking all of the things that they do to you personally. And they know that you're rattling them or that you're upset or that, you know, in some cases, I hate to say it, that you're not showing them respect. And so then they don't feel like they owe you that in return. And I think the mistake a lot of us make is um, we try to assert ourselves as these kind of dominant, Mm -hmm. you know, or else type of figures. The authoritarian. Yes. And Mm -hmm. it just, you can survive that way. I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but I don't think in the long term it's effective and it's not healthy. Well, it's surely not going to help you thrive. No, it's not. And I've been there. You know, I'm saying that as a person that, Mm -hmm. you know, on the one hand, I think all my students have always known that I've cared about them. But on the other hand, I have been overly invested in the behavior stuff to the point where I would leave work with headaches or, um, you know, I could feel the physical tension in my body because I was spending so much energy, uh, you know, emotionally and physically controlling that. And so backing off of that helped a lot. And me reminding myself that ultimately I can't make them do anything. And so, right. um, you know, if something particularly difficult happens, there's a lot of self-talk. I also teach my students mindfulness tricks. And one of the things that I do is sometimes when I need a mindfulness trick, I'll be like, we all need a mindfulness break. <laughs> um, so it just really depends on the behavior, but I, I think humanizes. I down to the relationships and then yes. I can use those relationships as leverage. Yes. So I love that you said, I don't feed into the drama because I want to flip this conversation into another player in this game of burnout. And that is colleagues. If after today's episode, you're wanting more, check out this month's Burned In Teacher podcast freebie at burnedinteacher.com slash understand. In it, I break down what it means to understand your teacher brand because burned in is an eight-step acronym. B stands for begin where you are. U stands for understand your teacher brand. R is reflect on your challenges, N is nurture your strengths, E is extend your reach and possibilities, D is determine your long-term goals, I is initiate lasting change, N is never settle. So go to burnedinteacher.com slash understand to get this month's Burned In Teacher podcast freebie, chapter two of my ebook, Burned In Teacher Training, Eight Steps to Go from Surviving to Thriving in Education. Enjoy the chapter, take action, and burn on. So what happens when there's drama happening around you as an adult, as a woman working with predominantly other women? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been there. What 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 is your reaction or what is your proaction? to that drama and that negativity that a lot of the teachers that I work with really struggle with. Yeah. And it's easy, right? Because we're like in an environment where it's, I mean, a, like a, a constant, you know, flurry of, of negative comments and the emotions that come with what we do. Um, so the first thing is I'm in my room a lot. So during planning times and times that, you know, teachers might normally gather and talk. I'm in my room with the door closed, getting things done. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on the outside, it's for productivity reasons and so that I can do what I need to do at school so that I'm not at school hours and hours afterwards. But there's also that secondary layer to that where it's also because I don't want to get involved. Yes. Um, now, in the spirit of camaraderie, I do, you know, chat with and, and associate with my colleagues. But when they begin to get into, you know, negative commentary about students, you know, I'm going to be honest and say that sometimes you're in that place where you're like, oh, yeah, I totally know this is what's going on. Um, and I'll admit that I'm, I'm guilty of that. Right. Like, I want to be completely honest about that but I try to be really aware of my responses to what they say. And while I may say something when they say things, I try to just listen and just be that listening ear. I try my best not to offer any type of commentary that's going to add to or enhance what they're already complaining about. Yes. Because I know that that energy is going to jump onto me and then I'm going to begin to feel negatively um, so it's, it's like a mix of separation and just not commenting, you know, I'll be, I'll listen and, um, you know, I try to say something that shows that I am there for them or that I'm listening or, yeah, I know that's really tough or, yeah, I know that's something that I've struggled with in the past. And, um, if it's something I feel like I can help with, you know, I mm -hmm. may offer solutions, but mm -hmm. for the most part, I find that a lot of times when people complain, that's not what they're looking for. No, they, if they don't ask, I didn't tell. And right. I have the same mindset. And, you know, a lot of people wonder, you know, how did I get out the door when I did, you know, every day and not working on the weekends? Well, it's because when I was at work, I worked. Right. You know, and it wasn't, it wasn't in a negative way. I just, I didn't eat lunch in the teacher's lounge. I ate lunch yes. while I entered data or created yes. stuff, you know, yes. I went to work and I treated it like work, you know, of course I was friendly. Of course I was collaborative. Of course I was pleasurable to be around, Yes, but I, my, my brand was that I'm coming to work and I, and I work, you know, and I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that you don't, you know, people that typically complain, they don't really want the help, you know, th there are things that you could say, like, like what you probably have already, um, have already done in the past, like, well, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, it, people will, will identify you as somebody who I'm not going to get anything from her. Right. I, exactly. And so know. then they don't come to you with a whole lot. And that's something that I've noticed too, is since I adopted that mentality, I actually really don't have a whole lot of people that come to me with that. Yeah. Um, and I also noticed that it does trickle down to my students because the relationships that some of my students have with me is not the same as the relationships they have with their other teachers. And I think that's about that mindset. You know, mm -hmm. kids, kids get that even when yes. you think that they don't. Yes. Yeah. It's so true. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps out the mental clutter. And, you know, like you said earlier about, you know, when you were talking to your friend and she handed you that book because you, you are the one who said, I think I'm going to read this book. And she says, wait a minute, here you go. Yes. You know, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Hmm. And when you are seeking solutions, when you're truly seeking solutions, if your blood pressure is lower than when you started talking to someone, you talk to the right person. Yeah. If your blood pressure is higher, all <laughs> you were doing is venting and yes. all you were doing were throwing logs on the fire. Yes, right? exactly. Exactly. And that's not what you want. It's like this job has enough hardships without making it hard by your mentality because there are certain things and what I've realized and 
you know, kind of the year that I've just really been kind of speaking this on my platform is that um, while there are a lot of things that I can't change, what I can change is how I think about it. That matters so much. And the power in recognizing that you can change so much with your mindset is really what's been revolutionary for me. It's extremely empowering, isn't mm-hmm. it? You're not waiting around for this mythical unicorn to come in and just <laughs> change your life, right? You right. have the power. You really do. And that sounds yeah. very, very woo-woo or <laughs> But it's so true, Alexis. It Thank is. you so much for everything that you said today. This is really exciting. I think this is going to help a lot of people to realize how much power they really do have over their burnout. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Um, If there's anything else I'd like to share, it is that, um, like you said, Amber, you do have so much power over, um, I mean, just over your life in general. And that starts with your mindset and how you think about things. Mm -hmm. Your mindset dictates everything. And what I found is that as soon as you have, or as soon as you decide to shift your mindset, lots of things follow that, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you have that mindset that I can live my best life and, you know, live my best teacher life as well, that happens because you believe, because you believe it is so your actions begin to align with what it is that you believe. Mm -hmm. There's a quote that I really love and I know I'm going to mess this up, but it says, watch your thoughts. They become your actions. Watch your actions. They become your habits. Watch your habits. They become your character, something Mm -hmm. along the line of, of that. And it's so extremely true. You know, yeah, where, where you focus, where you choose to focus is where your head goes, right? And then where your head goes, your body follows where your head goes, right? So it's such a residual effect. So I am so, so appreciative that you you brought up all of these wonderful examples of really thinking about how you're projecting your, your teacher brand onto your students and your colleagues and yourself, really. Well, thank you so much. I, I mean, this is something I am so excited to talk about every time I have a chance to talk about it because... I have experienced it for myself, right? Like I'm not just talking from this like point on high where I believe that, you know, this mythical thing can happen and and it can be great. I have experienced this. And I think that's really where the passion comes from because I know that it's real because I've been there and I've been through kind of all these different things that we're talking about. And I feel like I am, you know, in a lot of ways, um, successfully doing both while not perfectly successfully in the sense that I've done it enough times and experienced enough times that I can, that I can be a great teacher and a great, you know, insert anything else. Yes. And it's so true. And you really can, you know, you can do whatever you want, you know, and that's another Mm -hmm. thing is that sometimes we place these, these boundaries around ourselves that like, oh, I can't go past this line. Right. Yes, you can. You really can. It all starts with your belief in yourself. So yes. thank you so much. Yes. I feel like we could talk for another two hours. I know. <laughs> we, we really could, but we hopefully will get that chance at a uh, conference next week. I'm, I'm really hoping that it works out. Actually, Alexis, before we jump off here and we, we've got it, we've got to get going because I actually do have another call after this at eight o'clock. Um, the burned in teacher lightning round. So just because our conversation, I know you and I have gotten a chance to laugh a lot, but <laughs> our conversations get pretty serious. So I just want to get to know you a little bit better and have a little fun. So I'm going to do a quick this or that round with you. Okay. 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 Soup or sandwich? Sandwich. Yes. What kind? What kind of, are, are you meat eater? Ham and cheese. 
Ham and cheese. Yes. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> card game or board game? Uh, card game. Mm, what? Which one? Do you have one that you and your, um, your husband go to every time? Oh, gosh. No, not every time. We love Uno, but then when we get in a big family gathering, we like spades. Oh, nice. Yes. All right. And finally, dine-in or delivery? Ooh, dine-in because I love to cook. Cooking is oh, my yeah. thing. Oh, yes, you do. You post that <laughs> on your stories too. Yes. I saw your peppers last week. They look delicious. Yes, I love to cook. It's cathartic for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so true, especially with a nice glass of wine sometimes. So yeah. one more question. Where can people find you? Um, it's so simple. On Instagram and Twitter, I am at the Afro Educator, all one word. Again, that's at the Afro Educator. And then on Facebook, uh, my handle is the space <laughs> Afro Educator and Afro Educator is all one word. Awesome. And I will have that in the show notes. Alexis, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so, so much. I'm so grateful that we finally got to talk and hopefully yes. I'll get to see you next month. Oh, I hope so too. I'll be in touch. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. See, I told you this was going to be a really good interview and I didn't lie, did I? So today's actions and today's tips and takeaways all have to do with your mindset. I want to focus on your head today. So my main tips and takeaways are really all about you closing your eyes and deciding that you're going to change your narrative which in turn will change your mindset. So you have to remember that combating burnout begins and ends with you. I've said this a million times and I will continue to say it. No one is going to come and save you. Now, people can come to your aid. People can come help you. I'm here to help you. Alexis is here to help you. I'm sure you can find mentors around you. And of course, if you can't, you know you can come to the Burned In Teacher Facebook group and find the support you need. However, you have to decide that you want to change. You have to decide that you're going to take the action that needs to be taken to end this burnout and create a brighter future for yourself, all right? You can live the teacher life and your best life at the same time. Alexa said it, and it is the absolute truth. But you have to decide that you're going to be both the best teacher you can humanly be, because I also believe we are not superheroes, we are humans. So be the best teacher that you can humanly be, but also put yourself first. You have the right to live your best life outside of being a teacher. And because you give yourself permission to live that best life and to do the things that bring you joy and to open up your possibilities, you're going to in turn be a better teacher because you're going to be revitalized. You're going to be full of happiness. You're going to be full of joy. You're going to have fantastic stories to tell and people to introduce your students to. And you can do this, but it takes you deciding. Just like Alexa shared when she came out of that second round of burnout, she realized that her burnout and coming to the end of it really does begin and end with her. So that's my challenge to you today. Sit down, get quiet. Think about the narrative, the stories that you've told yourself in the past and how you can change them and start telling yourself new stories today. All right, I wanna leave you with this agent of change. Positivity Peyton says, I can do hard things and I won't let challenges affect my attitude. And with that quote, you're going to bring about feelings of gratitude and calm. All right. 
I'll see you next week. You just took another step to becoming a burned in teacher. Burn on everybody. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, you can head over to burnedinteacher.com where you can access the entire vault of Burned In Teacher podcast episodes and more information about ways I want to help you go from burned out teacher to burned in human. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would be so grateful if you would head over to iTunes and leave a review and a rating about the Burned In Teacher podcast. Until next time, take a deep breath because you just took another step to becoming a burned in teacher. Burn on.